This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. This is Jordan Moorhead with the Moorhead team, and this is the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, we have Stephanie Douglas with Open House Austin, and she's doing so many awesome things at Austin that she's going to share with us here today. Hey, Stephanie, how are you? Hi, great. How are you? Great. Glad we could get on here. I know we're both very busy people. <laughs> I know we always have stuff going on, and it's hard to lock down some time. I'm so glad we could get you on today. I've been following you on Instagram for a while and I see all the cool stuff you're doing every day. Yes. Thank you. So happy to be here. Always. I love talking about investing. Could do it for hours and hours. So very thrilled to be here. You're in the right spot. (laughs) So real quick, tell our guests who you are and how you're involved with real estate investing in the Austin area. Yes. So my name is Steph Douglas. I am the co-founder of Open House Austin. We are a education, real estate education company. We're also a team with Realty Austin, real estate team. Um, So we do, I have my license, although I'm not taking clients anymore. I manage our team of three agents and then I'm also an investor. So I've, I've been investing since 2013. I started with my very first house that I lived in and I house hacked. House hacking has been a big uh, way that I've been able to grow quickly, um, save, my savings rate has been skyrocketing ever since I completely eradicated my mortgage or rent payment. So 2013, I bought my first house. I bet really high on East Austin and my my bet paid off. So <laughs> I was lucky in the right place at the right time. Um, and I now am in, I'm, I have a family partnership where we buy houses. We, we use the Burr method. And so we've been doing two, we're going to start ramping up to probably three to four a year. Um, and we have 14 doors with our partnership. And then I have a couple of doors with business partners, friends. We just closed on a really exciting property, uh, and about an hour away from here. So that's kind of the rundown and I'm happy to go deeper into any of those things. Yeah, I love it. So obviously your open house Austin has gotten a lot of press. So I've seen a lot of the stuff you guys are doing there. I love the house hacking component. Uh, I just bought my fourth house hack in South Austin. My last two were actually in East Austin and those paid off very well. So I think that's a common theme you find between real estate investors is, hey, we want to get into this. We don't have a lot of money when we get started. So we do this house hacking deal and it's so powerful. So powerful. And I think you're, you hit the nail on the head with not having a lot of money initially. Real estate is such an amazing way to get into investing, grow quickly, and not have much capital to begin with. I put 5% down on my first house. So 180, 5% of that. Very doable if you are, you know, I was 24. So very doable. Save up for a couple of years, get into it, and then it just kind of snowballs from there. That's crazy. 180. Where was that house? <laughs> um, it was in it was in the zip code 78721. Okay. And at the time in 2013, that felt people called it far east. 
mm-hmm. which is like, oh my gosh, you're so far away. And I, it was, it felt like such a sacrifice. And now that's like very central zip code in Austin. And so I've, I feel like that's part of my advice is like, you're, you might not be able to get the primus location at the moment, but if you're in a fast growing city, it will very quickly become a prime location. Oh yeah. That's something, you know, it's hard when we're dealing with our clients and I'm sure you're helping your agents understand this is, Hey, I want to be here. This is such a nice area. You probably don't want to be there right now. You want to be just a little bit further out. That's not so nice of an area that's still close to a lot of this really cool stuff to do. This is a conversation I probably have every day with our agents and with our clients. Hey, I know you want to be here. We can't find something that makes sense right here. Just down the street over here, it might be a little dirty. It might be a little run down right now, like 78721 was. But it's going to be so close to all the cool stuff that Austin has to offer. Exactly. But take advantage of it. Yeah. And I mean, for a hundred to two hundred thousand dollar discount too. It's it's a really wild uh in real estate, and you know this, but there's those mental barriers, and usually they come in the form of a road or a zip code or a highway. And I think the the mental barrier has been kind of like moving out. Austin was a small town. And so on, on all sides of Austin, the mental barrier has expanded in people's mind as quote unquote in town or like a good location in Austin. Oh yeah. I remember I was talking to a lady back in 2016. She said, Oh, I'm all the way out in Maynard. Like it was something so far out there, but we we both know that's what, 20 minutes from downtown on a bad day. Yes, exactly. And when you think about large cities, like I grew up in Houston Mm -hmm. where they say Houston is an hour away from Houston, Yeah, 20 minutes is nothing. So when you, when you kind of translate that into bigger cities, and I feel like Austin is in its adolescence, like we're not, we're, we have so much room to grow. Um, we're, you know, Maynard is going to be basically another neighborhood of Austin. Oh, absolutely. And you you mentioned we've got so much room to grow. So we've had this tremendous growth over the last couple of years, especially the last year or two, where we've had big employers like Tesla, Apple's moving their big campus here. Mm-hmm. Now Samsung moving their big campus here, Oracle moved their headquarters here. It's If you think about that stuff, are they really the last? You know, they're not, they weren't the first. I would say they're somewhere in the, the beginning stages of people moving companies to Austin. Totally. And then companies come, jobs come, which mean people come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're starting to get major sports teams. And yeah. like, I feel like we'll, we'll that, that part of things will just grow. And that really stimulates areas and growth and economy. And it's, it's exciting. I know, I know there's a lot of um, opposition to growth. And I totally understand that. I've been in Austin for, since 2017, sorry, since 2007. So what is that? A long time. I went to college here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so I've seen, I mean, I've seen it grow and I think I could be one of those people that that are mad about the growth, but I think there's, there's big perks to having, yeah, having access to fun things to do all the amenities. We have a soccer team. It's exciting to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. So I think my next question, you might have just answered it. Why do you choose to invest in Austin? So I know you're still doing deals in Austin and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you've done deals outside of Austin. So why still invest in Austin with all this crazy growth? You can't buy $180,000 houses in 78721 anymore. Why not just give up and go somewhere else? 
Yeah. Great question. I think when I first started, I did buy a, I bought in San Antonio, which is more affordable market. It's a larger city. It's more spread out, but it is, um, significantly more, more affordable now. And it was back then as well. Um, and it's an hour and a half away. It doesn't seem like a long, long drive for me, but I was also an Asian. I had other things going on and it's just my, my properties in Austin. I know Austin really well. I know if you tell me a street, it's like a 70% likelihood that I either know exactly where it is or like a general area. So invest where, you know, I think is a big value for me. And even though the prices are higher, I can get there in 10 to 20 minutes max. I can oversee the projects really well. I, and again, know these streets better than anything. And so we tried San Antonio. It was a really big challenge. The the rentals sat empty for longer than they should have. We were bleeding money for longer than we should have. Um, And so I don't think long distance investing is impossible or even a bad idea. But for me, living in such an exciting, growing city, I think it's a more appealing and easier. And then also I have control. I have a bigger upside if I stay in Austin and stay to what what I know. Yeah, no, I, I love what you said there. So investing out of area isn't the worst thing to do, but because you're in Austin, you know everything about Austin. You know the certain things are going to drive the value of these homes up or maybe help you profit in the short run a lot better. You just have more insider knowledge. and Exactly. I almost struggled to say this. I don't know that Austin is the best place for an outsider to invest. If you're from California or Seattle, you can invest here and make money. But if you're on the ground in Austin, you could probably do so much better than those people because you have all the insider knowledge. You know exactly what's happening. You know which areas are gentrifying. You know, you just have a pulse on what's going on in the city. Um, Exactly. There's also quite a few regulations around how you can rent your space out, how you can utilize short-term rental, long-term rental. And those things are really hard. We, I mean, we both know that people are calling from California, Seattle, New York, trying to invest here. And it is a, it's a challenge. I think that if I were somewhere else, if I were in a really uh, unaffordable market like LA, I would probably try for a, um, not Austin. Yeah. (laughs) Which is hard for me to say too. It's like, I would probably go to like a growing town in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, you know, you just don't understand anything about the housing in Austin. You know, I've very commonly had people call me and say, well, where can I find a basement or (laughs) what's, what's with all this foundation problem? You know, why are all these houses have foundation issues? Foundation issues are really bad. You don't want foundation issues. (laughs) And that's not the case here. Lots of houses have foundation issues. They're not always that bad. But when you don't know a local market, even if you're going to invest out of area or out of state, you don't know a local market, it's a lot harder to invest than if you know everything about it like you do. Yep. Um, And you also mentioned something that I think is really important, not so much related to the market, but related to, hey, I'm busy, I'm doing other stuff, I'm an active real estate agent, or I'm growing an awesome business. Maybe it's not worth my time to invest in these low dollar markets over here where things aren't going so well. If I'm going to invest, I'm going to do it here where it goes really well. 100%. I think that's so important to know your boundaries and to know, to be really realistic with yourself about your time constraints. And 
while I bought a duplex in San Antonio for 80,000, which you, you haven't seen that in Austin for 20 years. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, my, my worst deal um, because I was just not there and I was happy. I, I love San Antonio. I think San Antonio is a really, really cool place. I love to visit. Um, but I'm happy to be out of there in my investments. Yeah. And I think you also got to weigh, what is my time worth? So mm-hmm. if I'm buying this $80,000 duplex in San Antonio, which is an awesome deal, but I'm making $300 a month off this thing and it takes five hours a month of my time. And I could use that five hours in that headspace to better run a real estate team in Austin or find better investments in Austin. You're probably going to make a lot more money. 100%. I think early on investors, and it was important for my investing career to go through this phase. I think mm-hmm. we bought really rundown properties. I emailed every single listing in San Antonio with a thirty dollars to $50,000 lower offer. And the people who got back to me, we bought it. And those houses were, you say, you mentioned foundation. We've dealt with so much foundation, but the houses we bought in San Antonio were really, really rough. And I think for me now in my phase of my career, I'm willing to pay a little bit more for a little bit higher quality property um, and, you know, spend more upfront and maybe spend a little bit more on the rehab, but like my $80,000 days and then putting $20,000 into it, it, it's over. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's so good to know that stuff about yourself too. And it's a valuable lesson you learn. It sounds like it's all worked out for the best. Yes. Steph, what attracted you to real estate investing? Obviously you've been through so many deals, you've figured out what your niche is now, but how'd you get started? Yeah, I was a fourth grade math teacher for seven years. I got my degree at University of Texas in Austin in elementary education. And the housing market I was renting, started getting uh, expensive. It started growing. This was around 2012, 2013. And I wasn't going to be able to afford my neighborhood anymore in rent. And I was like, this is the time. So that's when I bought my $880,000 house. It was flipped like a quick two-week flip that you used to see. And I was like, wow, I don't ever have to do anything. I mean, I bought a house at 24. I'm done. Everyone was so impressed. I was like, okay, cool. And then I rented it out to move in with a partner. I had $500 cash flow, $500 a month cash flow. And I was like, this is, I mean, that was like a third of my paycheck. I was like, this is amazing. I can't believe I'm just sitting here and getting paid this. So I, me and that partner inevitably went separate ways. And I had already rented out my, my first house and I didn't want to go back to renting. So I was like, okay, what's, what are my options here? I, I went to my mom who was also a teacher and said, Hey, let's partner 50, 50 on another house. I'll live in it, manage it, rent out a couple rooms and we can renovate it ourselves. And so my mom and I spent a summer, we had summers off since we were teachers, um, renovating his house, YouTube university style. We just like did most of it ourselves. And I realized that I liked doing that more than I liked teaching. So I got my license. I started doing, doing real estate and I was doing both of them at the same time, basically losing money by going to work as a teacher. Um, and so eventually probably too late or later than I should have, I quit teaching dove full-time into real estate as a job. And then I just continued and continued to 
invest because I loved the freedom aspect of it, how quickly you could grow and how that could mean ultimately schedule and financial freedom. Yeah. And it's just so much fun. It's so fun. (laughs) No, that's an awesome story. Um, So some of the more successful investors I know are actually former teachers. I don't know how that correlates, but. Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join GoBundance.com slash Emerge, GoBundance.com slash Emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole life millionaire. I think it correlates in a couple ways. (laughs) The teaching is really hard. And so people are are always trying to find a more rewarding, but also easier and more free. Teaching is is restrictive in finances and in schedule. And it's like, those are my two biggest pain points. But I also think teachers are really resourceful. Like they just know they have to use what they can. They have to be really creative when they approach a problem. They have to figure out how to, manage 30 children. And I just think it, that's what it kind of takes to be a real estate investor. You you're juggling a lot of balls and you have to be, you have to think on your feet. Yeah. It's absolutely all about solving problems. If you can solve problems and if you can put up with solving other people's problems, you can do really, really well as a real estate investor. Yes, absolutely. So speaking of problems, can you tell us about advice on, obviously you already told us about advice. Don't just go for the cheapest house you can find. It's probably not the best thing to do, but do you have any other advice for how to avoid a bad deal or lessons you've learned along the way? Yeah, I think for me now I can look at a deal and just like, know right away. You're probably the same, you know, you can tell kind of do the numbers in your head um, and know right away because you have so, so much experience and I feel like analyzing deals is you can practice and get, get really good at it. And I think when I, I have these um, searches set up on my phone, they come to me, whatever I'm interested in that point of time, always looking at real estate and I'm analyzing deals constantly, constantly and saying, okay, well, that one wouldn't work. This one could work. And I think avoiding a bad deal is all about context and how much you, how rich your context is and how much you, how much knowledge you have of the market of, of not, and not, again, you don't have to live there, but it's really important to know what's happening at that point in time in that exact area and meaning like within blocks. So, you know, everything that's popped up in the market, every, every price that that has come across the screen and, Ideally, you know what they've sold for. You have you can find those things out from your agent with the comps. Um, and if you're an agent, it's that much easier. But I think the best advice is to just be obsessive about what is happening right then. And then you can know it right away. Okay, this is a good deal. Let's move on it. Yeah, and that's so important, just moving quickly. So it, yes. I think that holds up so many investors. So if you have that, that background knowledge, you knew everything about the area, like you're saying, then you can make those decisions quickly and get great deals. Yes. Because I I feel like, and I kind of just, I'm going to go against what I just said a little tiny bit, but people get analysis paralysis. So you, you balance 
knowing everything you can about the market, but also being able to go quickly and be decisive. I think the, the, one of the main reasons I've been successful in anything is because I'm decisive and I'm, I'm risk tolerant. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I think those are great traits to have if you're a real estate investor or in business of any sort. Yes. Yes. It's, I think it applies everywhere. And I think that probably being quick to act and having context about your market is, is true across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Be quick to make decisions. And, you know, I think it's scary to be quick to make decisions when you don't know the outs in the contract. So talk to your agent, figure out what are your outs when you get into a contract. You know, we've got the option period here in Texas with finance and contingencies. There's some other contingencies there that can help you if, yes. if you make a mistake. It can help you be more risk tolerant when you know when you can exit. But I would also say like, we have people come to us and say, I'm looking for a really good deal. And it's like, okay, great. <laughs> Everyone is looking for a really good deal. Mm-hmm. We, we have bought every single one of our houses on the MLS. We're mm-hmm. not, we don't knock doors. We don't send flyers. We look for houses that are undervalued, that are overlooked and that have been sitting on the market for a long time. And so your good deal is going to be kind of unique to you. Like these, this is perfect for you, your situation and maybe not for everybody's. So being creative is, is a huge part of the reason I've been successful because I see the value where other people don't. Yeah. And that's, that's so big. So I've done a lot of off market marketing and I've had it not work so well. So I've bought most of my deals off the MLS too, but we've done Google AdWords. We've done VA phone callers. We've done direct mail. We've done all of it. Um, If somebody goes to the MLS, they get an agent, they want to sell that house. Right. So if you find the right house to buy on the MLS, maybe it's not marketed correctly. Mm -hmm. Those are great deals. All of my house hacks have actually bought off the MLS. Some yeah. rentals I've bought through wholesalers, but when people are going to somebody to sell it, they're motivated to sell it. Yes, absolutely. And people are, especially right now, they know that they can sell their house for quite a lot. Like a lot of times if they're they're off market, they have an even inflated ver- idea of what they can actually get. So I found that it's a little bit smoother to just, yeah, go with people who are wanting to sell and have already s- seeked out the agent to sell it. And ideally that agent isn't very good and they have, they take bad pictures or they, you know, price it way too high and you can go in right at the moment that they're feeling discouraged. And I think what, that what I tell my agents is that it's all so psychological. You have to get in their mindset. If they're feeling not in a hurry, there's, there's nothing you can do in negotiations to make them lower, change their mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I love what you said about the off-market sellers having this inflated sense of value. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to, both sellers that want to sell and off-market sellers that say, hey, I want 800000 for my house. Well, your house is worth five fifty. <laughs> nope, I'm not going to sell it until I get eight hundred. Yeah. Right? Well, you might be waiting four or five years <laughs> if that happens. But I can't buy it right now. So it's a lot easier and it's a lot smoother to buy it just through an agent. um, Find somebody that's great. Make sure you're doing your due diligence. But you're going to have better luck finding people who actually want to sell. 100%. And I think that's the same. On I mean, I we it's we're both 
agents. So it, it seems like it's in our best interest to say this, but having a good agent is so important to your process. And it, mm-hmm. obviously it's, it's easier for us because we have our licenses and we can, you know, we represent ourselves, but if you're not planning to get your license, it's imperative to have someone who has similar values, similar mindset around investing to help you buy your, for your how for investing or buy houses in general. Oh yeah. So I invest out of state, uh, just talk about that. We always use an agent on all of our investments and we yes. actually pay their commission. So the listing side gets to keep the whole commission. Amazing. So we're always paying an agent. We're paying the agent because we see the value in having an agent so much rather than just going straight to the listing agent, which we could do off of Zillow or something. Right. We just pay the buyer's agent a 3% commission, get the deal done, and we get much better deals. We get protected. We get guidance. We get everything yes. we need. We get referrals for contractors, all sorts of things. It's um, it's really, it's funny how how low the opinion is of realtors, which I, mm-hmm. I mean, we both met our fair share of um, awful agents. So I totally understand. And it can seem, it can feel predatory, but really agents, they do a lot. If they're a good agent, they're doing a lot and they're working for that money. So I love that you pay the commission off of your own. Yeah, I, I think being an agent, I value it even more. So I just yes. make sure we use an agent. I know I don't want to represent myself in somewhere that I don't understand and know. Yes. So I'm going to find an expert to represent us and protect yes. our interests. I love that. Where are you investing? So I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. Obviously, oh. live in Austin. I invest in Austin. I invest in Louisville. But I only invest in Louisville because I'm from Louisville and I know yes. Louisville so well. Yep. Yep. I love that. I think... Especially if you have someone on the ground, do you have family there still? Family and a business partner from grade school. That's amazing. That's that's another really really good way to vet wherever you want to invest. If you're not investing out of if you're not investing in your own city, if you mm-hmm. have someone there, it, it makes it twenty times easier. Oh, well, I wouldn't be able to do it at the level <laughs> we do it if I didn't have a business partner and I didn't wasn't from there. Yes. Awesome. So. I know we've talked about a lot of advice that investors need to know, but what's one thing you tell a newer investor when they come in to see you? So I know you guys do a lot of education. What's your biggest piece of advice for newer investors? So I've kind of mentioned, but the creativity piece is just so big for, especially new investors, people who want to break into the industry. It's all about seeing it with new eyes, which is another reason why talking to an expert is so important. They could see it in a different way totally different way than you. Um, but the creativity piece. And then I think you're never going to know everything. And so jumping in, like not being afraid of the bad deal, jumping in and doing, just doing something is like 10 years of grad school. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think if you really want to be an investor and you really want to invest in real estate, just do it. <laughs> Uh, Nike, not, <laughs> but just, <laughs> just, just do, buy something. Like it's, it's, it, I feel, we call it real life grad school. It really does. It's, you're going to learn so much more by doing it than, than by any, by reading things, by obviously do research, listen to podcasts. I, I listened to everything I could get my hands on, but I was also buying while I was listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I think, you know, you're not inferring that go out and just buy anything you see. You're saying, hey, 
if you if you can analyze a deal and find out this deal is going to work, there's always some unknowns there. You're going to only see this much. There might mm-hmm. be this much going on. But make exactly. sure the deal works. Buy it. Sometimes some of the deals that have looked the thinnest for me have been the best deals. 100%. I think for me, my my highest grossing property right now is the first one that I bought. Hmm. And I it's because I did it in phases. I bought it. Didn't, I was, you know, paid half of it with a more, with a roommate, and then I was getting some cash flow from long term tenants, and then I added a second unit in the form of an ADU or an accessory dwelling unit in the backyard, and now I'm, you know, that that property cash flows three thousand dollars a month, and you know I've spent one eighty on it. So like the best deals are you're not gonna you're not you're just not gonna know everything, um, but also great advice to just analyze, make sure the numbers work. And when we say that, I just feel like it feels so intimidating. Like mm-hmm. I don't, but I, what are the numbers? Like what, how do I run them? And I think it's way simpler than people think. Like you figure out your monthly costs, what that, you know, mortgage taxes, insurance, and then you figure out what you can earn monthly. And that's how you figure out if it works. Yeah, no, it's actually very simple. But I love that you said, "Hey, I bought it for 180." I had no idea it was going to gross me three thousand dollars a month. Now, um, there's always just so much unseen. So you mentioned one thing that is really interesting in Austin right now in the ADU deals. So yeah. are you doing ADUs on some of your properties, and what do those look like? Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here, and I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Yeah. So ADUs, I love them for many reasons. Um, ADUs are highly restricted in Austin. So this is definitely, um, take this with a grain of salt, but um, we identify properties that have large backyards and have meet the minimum requirements and like they're zoned for um, ADUs or again, accessory dwelling units or little houses in the back. Um, And we, I started with the one I built. So it has a pier and beam foundation, made sure that I was, you know, permits and all of that um, worked out. It was not as hard as, not as as painful as I thought it was going to be. And now from that model, we've been pulling on um, tiny homes with wheels and those are way easier to get permitted. They're way easier. And they're, they're so cute. They're like, I mean, I know it's essentially a mobile home. I like that mobile homes are like trending now in the form of tiny houses, but people also love to rent them. Um, long-term or short, short-term, mid-term, they're very, very trendy and they do really, really well on Airbnb or on any, you know, I've rented them long-term as well. So we're very, that's kind of our model now that we're just replicating. We're renovating the house on the property and then pulling on an ADU. That's awesome. Yeah. I had not heard of that model. I know tiny homes are absolutely trending. And I love that you said they're kind of like a mobile home. Mobile homes are really nice. Like the nice nice. mobile homes are so nice. You walk into them and they've got big kitchens with big kitchen islands, big bedrooms. And you're like, man, this is a really nice house. But then you walk outside and see that it's four feet off the ground. (laughs) surrounded by skirting and they have just such a negative connotation. Yep. It's amazing. Ours, ours are all, so this is, we're about to buy our fourth Mm -hmm. and 
it is, you can finance them there that you can finance them through RV financing. So the interest rates aren't crazy, but you can get a really nice, very quaint, tiny house for anywhere from 40 to 70,000 all decked out with all the appliances, everything finished, like pulled on renting it the next day. And you can put 10 to $20,000 down your payments covered by the rental income and you're all set. You have to hook it up to utilities, but that's pretty minimal, not invasive, you know, just dig a trench for your, you have a plumber do your plumbing, electric, electrician do your electrical. And it's, it's really cool. Awesome. That's a new strategy I hadn't heard of. Of course, I've heard of the ADUs and, you know, you mentioned uh, zoning is really restricted. They've been battling this code next for a couple of years. So maybe someday it won't be, but right now it is. So you got to right. know what you're doing. You have yeah. to find the right size lot with the right zoning and the right setbacks before you do it, but it can be done. Yeah. And I love it because you're adding a whole nother house. You're not, you're, you're creating housing, which I mean, we're, I'm definitely real estate investing has the, has the ability and capability to hurt communities. And I think when you're pulling on or adding new housing, you're creating something that wasn't there before. So whether you Airbnb it, which you know, is a higher income, but again, you're taking a, a potentially long-term rental off the market. But in this case, you're not taking anything off the market because you added it to the market. True. <laughs> Very true. So Steph, what's next for you? Obviously you've come from being a solo real estate agent and doing some side investing to building a, a team and an education company. Where are you guys going next? Yeah, we're growing really quickly. Like, as you mentioned, we're we were just in the New York Times Magazine, which mm-hmm. is really exciting. Um, but we are wanting to focus really ha- heavily on first-time buyers, millennials, Gen Z, and making that more accessible. So we are nationwide. So we have our team in Austin. Um, we have a network across the country of agents. And so we have, we were trying to build that really, of, of people who have like-minded, creative investing helping people get into their first home who think that they can't making it more accessible. Um, so that's where the company is headed more national nationwide, trying to like spread awareness of property ownership and how impactful it can be on wealth building. Um, and then for my family, we are trying to get it. So, so that me and my mom and we we're not getting inheritances where none of us have any money coming to us or anything. We, we all started very like humble beginnings. And so mm-hmm. that we don't touch any of the money that comes into our LLC. It's all sitting there so that we can continue to do more deals. And then eventually that will be retirement for me, my mom and my uncle. So that's a really fun. And it's like, also we get to spend time together. It's like a very cute and lucrative operation over there. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And then I believe so, so heavily in partnerships. I only have one property on my own. Sounds like you have a business partner too. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I want, I, I've found all of the success and I've been so lucky and I'm also very strategic, but I want my friends to come with me. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we, I've been partnering with I, me and four of my friends just bought 23 acres in Gonzales County which is an hour from Austin. And we are going to develop that into a little oasis for us to go to. And then also for Airbnb 
and eventually event venue, wedding venue, stuff like that. Oh, cool. No, I love that. Part partnerships seem so daunting at first, but once you get into it and you find the right partners, it's just so amazing. And you've you've pulled the whole family into it where everybody's growing and, and building wealth off of it. And you know everybody's gonna be okay. So that's something I know everybody always talks about is I want to be able to take care of my relatives when I get older. And that's why I'm investing. You said, well, let's just take care of everybody right now. <laughs> yes. Pull them in. Absolutely. And I I've been so lucky. My uncle, right when we started this, he just started becoming a mortgage lender. He's in California, but he is a mortgage lender. My mom owns a short-term property management company and I'm a realtor. So we kind of have this like amazing trifecta of the industry and we've all kind of morphed to be that for each other, but it's a really, really good triad of skills. Yeah. Well, that's a great great partnership, even if you aren't related. Yeah, exactly. That's perfect. Um, Steph, do you have a favorite business or mindset book that you like to recommend to people? Well, the classic rich dad, poor dad. I, I feel like probably everyone says that, but, and I know Robert Kiyosaki, I don't know. He's been, you know, potentially problematic. I don't know what's happening with him, but that um, book changed my life. And I, read it, listened to it. I mean, it probably five times by now. Um, I started, got started on bigger pockets. Did, are you on bigger pockets? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, and that kind of opened my mind to there's another way, like you don't have to just work until you're dead and retire with $3,000 a month. It's really exciting to me. I'm much more of the mindset to increase my income rather than be more frugal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Rich Dad, Poor Dad and the Bigger Pockets podcast. We have a podcast, Open House Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been really fun for me to get on the other side of of the education and um, podcast world. It's so fun. Yeah. So that, that was actually my next question. How can people get a hold of you and how can people follow you and Open House Austin? Yes. So our podcast is Open House Austin, where women talk real estate, me and my business partner. Um, we are on Instagram at Open House underscore Austin. My Instagram is um, Steph Invests. And then we're online at openhouseaustin.co. Awesome. And for anybody listening to, we'll have all that in the show notes. You can find Steph on Instagram. Um, it's pretty easy to find. I'm sure yeah. if you look her up on Instagram or, or Google Open House Austin, you'll absolutely find it. But We'll have it there just so you can click on it right there. Last question, Steph. Most important question I'm going to ask today. What is your favorite restaurant in Austin? So that is the most important question by far. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I feel like, and obviously not everyone is from Austin who listens to this, but this this could also be a very popular and basic, basic answer. But Uchi just, I've not had a better experience than Uchi. It's a sushi restaurant here in Austin by, um, a fan. I think it's a top, top chef guy. Mm-hmm. So I guess a follow-up question, Uchi or Uchi Co? Man, I think Uchi for nice for like birthdays and, um, special events. And then Uchi Co happy hour is like amazing. You go there, you feel like so fancy, but also it's, you're not breaking the bank. You're spending, you know, hundred bucks and you're getting an amazing, amazing meal. Yeah. So much amazing food here, but Uchi and Uchiko are some of the top ones we get. If you yes. haven't tried them yet, you might have to make a reservation a few weeks out, but it's yeah. absolutely worth going to. 
Wait, what's yours? My favorite, it's real basic. Uh, I love Uchiko. I love Red Ash. But my favorite, just go grab food where I actually just was, is Rudy's. It's so oh, easy. Yes. Simple. It's it's good every time. It's like McDonald's. You're going to get the same <laughs> thing everywhere you go. But it's good barbecue. It's just yeah. kind of the side of the road. At Texas, that's a great Texas one. You have to get barbecue if you come to Austin. Yeah. Yeah, there's... You're probably going to want to go to some different barbecues than Rudy's, but if you're just looking for quick barbecue, go to Rudy's. Yeah. Salt Lake is my favorite barbecue. Salt Lake's good. Uh, of course, all the different blacks are good. Yes. I love Style Switch, personally. Oh, yeah. Style Switch is great. Yeah. Man, barbecue's so good. <laughs> you're going to get uh, off here and go get some barbecue. Yeah, seriously. All right. Thank you so much, Steph. Uh, again, guys, we will have all of Steph's information in the show notes. You'll be able to reach out to her. You'll be able to go to her website. But follow her on Instagram. She's always doing some awesome stuff here in Austin. Thank you so much for having me. Talk soon. Thank you.